Today, World Footprints comes to you from Iceland's capital city, Reykjavik. Brennan Matthews, editor of Route Magazine, shares a bit of Americana along the historic Route 66, the main street of America. There's people behind all of these stories and all of these attractions and all this great history, and we just love telling it. According to Cat Bird, publisher of the Wandering Bird blog, the encounters you have with people while traveling in a motorhome provides many beautiful moments. And they would have been chatting to the guys across the way in another van who were from Norway, and then a German couple pulled up. And we sat out under the stars around this campfire, drinking each other's beer and just sharing stories. Join us as we travel along America's historic Route 66 and traverse Europe in an RV on World Footprints with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick, today from Iceland. You haven't experienced America until you travel along the historic Route 66, also known as the Main Street of America. Route 66 was one of the original highways in the U.S. highway system, and Brennan Matthews, editor of Route Magazine, a bi-monthly publication that focuses on road travel, vintage Americana, and Route 66, takes us along the iconic highway. Brennan, we were surprised to learn that your magazine is dedicated solely to Route 66. What is it about Route 66 that has made it an iconic feature in the American landscape? We aren't actually dedicated fully to 66, probably 90%. But I, I would say that our focus really is on vintage Americana. And it just so happens that Route 66 probably holds, you know, within the U.S. today, what's still alive. And, you know, people can visit probably 85 to 90% of the really impacting Americana. So that's really our focus, and Route 66 holds the lion's share of it. And, um, you know, it's, there's just so many amazing stories. Route is not a travel magazine, so we don't generally have lists of things to do or not to do, um, places to go or not to go, what to pack, what not to pack. We are much more interested in getting the true story, the real story, the deep story behind some of the best Americana in the country, whether it's a giant blue whale in Catusa or at the Wigwam Motel in Rialto, California, or, you know, it's the rise of neon. There's people behind all of these stories and all of these attractions and all this great history, and we just love telling it. Well, and speaking of history, I know officially Route 66 doesn't... Uh, exist anymore per se in the, in the historical sense um, but why was it do you know why was it removed as a u.s highway and what areas can travelers still drive um, on this historic road today sure well many 85 percent of the road is still drivable um, but you know it was the new numerical designation of 66 was actually assigned to the chicago to la route on April the 30th, 1926, and it was actually done in Springfield, Missouri. And there's a great backstory to that that I won't go into right now. But even from its very inception, as roads were being formed and designated in the U.S. in uh, the late, let's say, mid-20s, there was even a lot of bantering and fighting back and forth who would get which numerical designation. Um, some people wanted something, you know, that they found was catchier. Others wanted something ending in a zero because all major roads ended in a zero at that point. But it was finally decommissioned in 1985 with the last place being Williams, Arizona to be decommissioned. 
what was basically happening is the U.S. government at the time looked and seen the, what was going on in, in Germany, the Autobahn, and they looked and seen how fast and, and efficient those roads were. And they said, you know, we need better roads in America. Our roads are getting congested. There's much more travel on the roads. There's a lot more vehicles on the road, a lot more people going here to there. And we need faster roads. We need better highways. And they uh, said about setting up the interstate system. And so little by little, Route 66 uh, towns were bypassed by the interstate. And of course, without an exit ramp or even, you know, even if, if there was an exit ramp, but without any real reason to stop in those towns, most of the, the cities and the towns along Route 66, unless they were larger, like Oklahoma City or St. Louis or Flagstaff, sort of died along the way. The interstate doesn't really work well today. Um, have you been to D.C. recently? <laughs> there are lots of organizations working to preserve famous landmarks along Route 66. Uh, what are some of the most unique landmarks that uh, uh, people hmm. perhaps are familiar with and perhaps some of the ones that aren't so familiar? Hmm. That's a good question. So, you know, Route 66 has, like I said earlier, some of the most iconic attractions and landmarks. Um, and they've all gone through different lifespans where they were really popular and then they sort of let go and, and then they were reinvigorated. Uh, one of the most famous is the Blue Whale of Katusa. And he's amazing. So he was created by uh, Hugh Davis. And it was interesting because Hugh actually built this whale for his wife, Zelta, for the 34th wedding anniversary because he knew that she liked whales. So he actually built her this enormous 80-foot-long uh, concrete whale. Um, wow. And, yeah, so the couple had owned an alligator farm just off of Route 66, and Katusa is just east of Tulsa. And so by the mid-'70s, it really was the centerpiece of their attraction, which was called Nature's Acres. And then Hugh died and Zelta died shortly after. And um, it, it started to fall into disrepair. And then volunteers began to come out from the... Na you know, people grew up with this whale. Um, the Davis family actually had built slides into the sides of the whale and it was right on a pond. And so people would come over in the 70s and they would slide down these slides and into the pond and people just love the blue whale. And so the community of Katusa rose up to, you know, slap some new paint on it and, and um, mow the lawn and clear the forest a bit and, and really reinvigorate Old Blue. And now his son Blaine, uh, Hugh's son Blaine, who himself is, goodness, Blaine must be late 80s, early 90s now, is still out <laughs> cutting the lawn, uh, maybe once a week during the summertime due to all the rain in Oklahoma. And the place is always packed with lots of tourists, both national and international, who just love the blue whale. And he really represents something pretty special. Another interesting place is the um, Ed Galloway Totem Pole Park. That is only, that's four miles off of Route 66, but we still count it as Route 66. And it's in a place called Foyle, Oklahoma, and it's a farming country, and it's just a peaceful, quiet place. But Ed Galloway actually served in the military during the early 1900s, and upon uh, returning home, he started to really sharpen his wood carving skills. And then he had a fascination with 
um, Indian heritage. And so he started carving a huge totem pole, massive. And he completed it in 1948. And then he built some other ones too. And it's now a park. So they had Galloway Totem Pole Park. And it was opened to the public. And it's, uh, it's, yeah, it's amazing. There's 200, this in the, the big one that he created, there's over 200 Native American inspired icons built right into, into that one. Now, Ed died uh, at the age of 82 uh, in 1962. And then his son and his wife, his son Paul and his wife Joy took, o- took over. But then Paul died in 1982. Mm. Um, he was only 65 and then left Joy to take care of it. And Joy died in 2008, but she was 91. And then that whole place fell into vandalism and disrepair as well, as these things for some reason are apt to do. But then several years ago, the Kansas uh, Grassroots Arts Association and the Rogers County Historical Society took up the project and really just repainted everything and just brought life back to it. Now it's just a serene, peaceful place to just go sit on the grass amongst all the totems and we just reflect and you know last time we were there we were sitting having a picnic we were all by ourselves it was a quiet oklahoma day and a road runner ran jumped down on our blanket and started running around <laughs> looking oh for lunch himself it's just a <laughs> well, lovely place you know I, I was actually going to it's a good segue because i wanted to ask you about the intersection between route 66 and native american um communities and cultures and the totem pole <laughs> park which I, I had read about, uh, I knew that existed, but I didn't know if there were any other um, intersections between you know the uh, historic road and Native American communities. Well, you know, it's it's in today's times, it's become slightly depending which person you speak with, which audience you engage with, uh, a little contentious because mm. there is a feeling that. Um, a lot of the carvings and a lot of the motels and a lot of the signs and billboards and just a lot of things that sort of promote and um, seek to attract visitors passing by on the, on the highway or down 66 that may be interested in Native American history and culture, um, that they don't really represent accuracy and that they might be exploiting. Personally, I'm, I, I'm not for that at all. I think that it's amazing. I think that it represents the times. These are the 40s and the 50s, the 60s. We lived in a different world back then. And I think that, you know, whether you're sleeping in a, in a teepee or a wigwam in Rialto, California, or Holbrook, Arizona, um, there's only three uh, wigwam villages left in the entire country now. And two of them are on Route 66. Or whether it's, you know, a lot of New Mexico have a lot of, little trading posts or curio shops, Arizona will too, that are really Native American focused, you know, come and get your turquoise jewelry or your moccasins or um, the, the history that surrounds it will be, I don't want to say exploited, but it'll certainly be promoted, maybe not always accurate, but it's fun. And it's, you know, it's, it's reminiscent of a time when tourism was more, unique and quirky and and they would do anything to get you off the road the bigger the better the brighter the neon the bigger the giant you know the 50 billboards all advertising the merrimack caverns all in a row or jackrabbit trading post all in a row before hundreds of miles before you ever get to holbrook or joseph Mm -hmm. city i should say um so 
I love it. I, mean, I think a lot of people love it. And the international community really love it too. They just, they come over and they, they just, they love New Mexico and Arizona, parts of California. It really resonates with them. They're not but, looking for accuracy. They're looking for a good time. Yeah. And, you know, and, and um, as an aside, we've actually been to the Cadillac uh Park or the Cadillac Ranch. Monument, yeah, the Cadillac Ranch. Ranch. The Cadillac Ranch. Oh, and it was amazing, amazing uh, works of art. Actually, I mean, just to get them planted, the Cadillacs planted in the yeah. soil is a is a feat. But I, I was curious. Um, in our last minute or so, you have interviewed a lot of celebrities for your magazine, uh-huh. Route, and I'm wondering if there's been a memorable Route 66 story to come out of any of your interviews. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, one of my favorite fellows, Brian Cranston. The actor known for his role in Breaking Bad. So Brian was on a motorcycle, and uh, he's done 66 a few times. But him and his brother were traveling, and they stopped in, I believe it was South, or, it was South Dakota. And so they were really tired, and they just had a habit of sort of throwing down their tent somewhere where they thought that they wouldn't bother anyone, parking the motorbikes beside it, and... You know, making their dinner and going to sleep. They were so tired this time that they just, they thought they parked at a church and then they just went to sleep. In the middle of the night, they heard a vehicle pull in and the gravel's crunching and uh, they sort of peep out of the tent. <laughs> they're, they're a little bit nervous. And then they see <laughs> the people in the vehicle get out with, what, with a coffin. And they're like, what? And so, um, so they're a bit nervous about this and they don't really understand what's happening, but they don't want to be seen because what if these guys are dubious and now they, they're witnesses. <laughs> so they wait till the guys go into this building with the coffin and then they quickly start packing up and they're, they're, they're moving quickly now. They want to get out of there before anybody comes back and uh, the door opens and uh, several men come back out and they stop them. I'm like, Hey, how are you guys doing? And they're like, oh, fine. Like, yeah. And it turned out to be a funeral home, and the guys didn't want to wake them up. So they were trying to, very, to walk very quietly on the gravel so that they weren't waking them up. And Brian and his brother thought they were actually sneaking in to try not to get caught. And these guys were actually just trying not to wake them up. We will have a link to Root Magazine and additional information about Route 66 on this show page on our website at worldfootprints.com.
are listening to the award-winning World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick. World Footprints connects you to the world one story at a time. We invite you to travel deeper by visiting our website, worldfootprints.com, and make sure you sign up for our newsletter and receive a special gift. Imagine that a night spent gazing at the Milky Way would inspire you to leave your job and your home for a life traveling across Europe in an RV? Well, that's exactly what happened with Cat Bird and her husband, the founders of the Wandering Bird blog. You and your husband have been crisscrossing Europe in a motorhome for the last two years or so. What inspired you two to embark on this full-time adventure? <laughs> I would love to say it was this brilliant plan that we had from the outset, but it didn't sort of come onto our radar. It was something that happened step by step. We started off two years ago, we bought a motorhome and we started exploring Europe around our daughter's schoolwork and around our work. So we had maybe two to three weeks of the first year we could actually go away in the motorhome and go to Europe. And we found ourselves on top of a mountain in Switzerland, in the motorhome, in the middle of nowhere. It was absolutely beautiful. And I walked outside the motorhome door at about midnight and just looked up and there was the Milky Way. And I remember just feeling so awestruck that this thing was there all the time and I had never seen it before, ever, Mm -hmm. not in real life. And I turned to my husband, I was like, this is incredible. How do we get more moments like this in our life? That time on the mountain set the wheels in motion for planning Kat and her husband's new adventure. So we were just trying to find ways of sort of cutting back our work time so we could have more fun time. And the biggest thing that was keeping us in the UK was my job. I used to be an air traffic controller in London. It was a great job and I got some sort of free time because we worked shifts, but you didn't get big chunks of time together. So you would kind of work six days and then have four days off, but that wasn't really enough time to go across to Europe. So we tried to work on cutting down my hours at work. And from there, the next, actually, that was the first bit. We had a little bit more time. And then from there, we were like, well, okay, my work offer a sabbatical. And you can only get one in your entire career. And you can either do three months or a year, or I guess you could do any time in the middle. But we were like, well, if you're going to do it, let's go for a year. So our next step in this plan was, okay, we need to reduce our dependency on my income so that we could basically just live off my husband and he could try and streamline his work to be able to work from the road as we traveled as much as possible. That was our next phase in the big plan. And then we were like, how on earth do we do that? Because obviously, like most people, our bills kind of match our lifestyle and match our income. Mm. And we're looking at this, this is never going to happen. How are we going to downsize enough to be able to just survive off one wage and save some money for our daughter's further education if she went to university or anything like that and I am amazed that we managed to do it in three months I'm still thinking about it now how did we do that so within three months of this initial crazy plan on top of a mountain in Switzerland we were entirely living off his income and banking my wage every month (laughs) but I turned to him and I was like why did we not do this years ago we'd have been rich but um yeah we we weren't that smart so then we look at each other the next stage on this plan was well all right we're doing this do I even need to go back to work 
Um, so we decided that actually it would be nice to have the freedom of not having that year sort of ticking down over our heads. And I was probably feeling a bit burnt out with it anyway. I've been doing it for 13 odd years. And we just went a bit crazy and I handed in my notice and then we had all the time in the world that we wanted to go off and explore. So it, it wasn't this big, let's do this, let's change our life. It was a lot of little steps that mm-hmm. made sense to us at the time. Kat told us that her husband still works and that he found a creative outlet that helps them maintain their nomadic lifestyle. People think that when you're on the road or you're traveling, you are traveling every single day. And that's not what we do. And, and most people that we have spoken to who do something similar, that's not what they do either because it's exhausting. So we travel a little way or we go to a different country and we stop for a few days or not always, but most of the time we will stop for three or four days. And sometimes he will fly to a client or he'll do some work. And I lasted about two months after I quit my job. And my brain was like, this is amazing. I am so calm. I don't have to do anything. And then it went, okay, give me something to do. Mm. Um, So I started a blog about our adventures and about our travels and things and that has grown so I I, we get some income from that now as well so that helps which is a really nice side effect because I didn't know you could make money off a blog when I started it was literally just a diary to keep my brain engaged. I want to talk about um, some of the countries you've traveled I know you've traveled within the two years to about 19 different countries Um, yeah and I understand that there is one particular country that you were not too keen on traveling to (laughs) talk about that oh god this is one of these really embarrassing stories where you know that you're wrong and admitting that you're wrong is never nice and never easy but other thing I mentioned just if it can help one person sort of overcome their preconceptions of a place or an idea then it's worth embarrassing myself entirely so the country that you're talking about is Germany and I don't even know why I didn't want to go to Germany I just didn't my husband had actually lived there for a little bit when he was a kid um and he loved it and he was like let's go let's go it's amazing and I'm like uh really and the problem is having just been to several places that I wanted to go to which is something you have to really work out when you're traveling because if you have different plans you've got to kind of pull in different directions but it was like one of those sort of quid pro quo things and I just couldn't get enthusiastic about going at all and We'd been there maybe three hours and I was in love with the place. I just, it's beautiful. And there were so many castles and historical buildings and food was amazing. But the people made the trip incredible. More than anything else, the people were so welcoming and so friendly and so pleased that you were visiting the country. And it was just magic. It was one of my, it's now one of my favorite countries in Europe. We go back there as often as we can. Having geographic freedom and the ability to experience natural beauty from the road is captivating. But Kat found something else that's just as magical. It's the biggest thing that we love about being on the road is the people that we meet because A, you meet the people in the places that you visit who are living there and living their lives, but we also meet other people who are traveling by road or they're backpacking or they're getting out and seeing the world. And those types of people have so many great stories. One of our favorite nights that we've had on the road was actually in Denmark. And me being me, I went over and started chatting to the guys in the van next to us who were from Holland. 
And they would have been chatting to the guys across the way in another van who were from Norway. And then a German couple pulled up. And we sat out under the stars around this campfire, drinking each other's beer and just sharing stories. Luckily, they all spoke English and they were very kind to us to actually all speak English. Um, but it was just one of these incredible nights from totally different cultures and backgrounds. But we all had a very similar attitude to the world and attitude to traveling and and being inclusive with the world as opposed to your own country and that was so lovely to be part of that we asked kat about some of the biggest changes she's experienced over the last few years surprisingly it wasn't adjusting to their small living quarters well Within, our, I mean, we've lived on boats for 14 years, so we're actually, we already got the kind of living in a small space down quite well before we started on a, in a motorhome. I think I've got braver, which probably sounds silly, but I've, I've got rid of a lot of the trappings of having a good job, having a good income, having, you know, the nice things that come with that. And been able to walk away from all of that and find out the question that everyone asks when you meet someone, oh, what do you do for a living? And honestly, for six months, I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and that's really hard. It's like a piece of your identity. And I've, I've been able to kind of move through that and learn a lot more about myself without that sort of external shell of, of the job and everything else. And that's been quite freeing. We have a link to Kat's website, Wandering Bird, on the show page of our website, worldfootprints.com. This is a bit unusual for us to be providing a show from another country, as we are today from Iceland. I don't know if you've noticed, but Route 66, a route that we traveled along and saw some really iconic things like uh, Cadillac Ranch and, and others, 
it is reminiscent a little bit of some of the roads that we've taken throughout Iceland where we've come across uh, very unique things. But I see the correlation. And just as Kat and her husband have been traversing through Europe on an RV, we've been traversing Iceland in a vehicle. This is a country with remarkable natural beauty and just the multitude and diversity of the landscapes here is breathtaking from fjords to volcanic fields to the hot springs. So this is a country that really impresses with its diversity. Mm-hmm. And just like America has its folklore, Iceland does too with trolls and the dark castles that we've gone through and well, I hope you guys were have uh, been inspired to travel through this show, and so we want to wish you a happy journeys. And as Chris Humphrey said, the road is there. It will always be there. You just have to decide when to take it. Thank you for traveling with us today, and please invite your family and friends to join us on these journeys. We're Tanya and Ian Fitzpatrick, and we always enjoy connecting you to the world one story at a time on World Footprints. This World Footprints podcast with Ian and Tanya Fitzpatrick is a production of World Footprints, LLC, Silver Spring, Maryland. The multi-award winning podcast is available on worldfootprints.com and on audio platforms worldwide, including iHeartRadio, Public Radio Exchange, iTunes and Stitcher. Connect with the world one story at a time with World Footprints. Visit worldfootprints.com to enjoy more podcasts and explore hundreds of articles from international travel writers. And be sure to subscribe to the newsletter. World Footprints is a trademark of World Footprints LLC, which retains all rights to the World Footprints portfolio, including worldfootprints.com and this podcast.